BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Royal photographer Chris Jackson discusses his new book, Prince William's latest hire may catch the eyes of Harry and Meghan, and Prince Harry has been in court suing the Daily Mail. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. Chris Jackson is a name some may already know, but for those who don't, he is the man behind many of your favourite royal photographs, and particularly the ones you see on Newsweek, because he's royal photographer for Getty, and we love Getty at Newsweek. We use loads of their images. So, Chris, thank you for joining me, and tell us all about your new book. No, thank you, Jack. That's a very kind introduction. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, well, my new book um, is with uh, Rizzoli. It's called uh, Charles III. Um, a king and his queen and i've been lucky enough to photograph um, our new king and queen consort for the last 20 years now coming up to the last 20 years and so i suppose i thought it was a great opportunity to put together my um, library of photographs to give um, the public the reader an insight into the characters of um, our new king queen and um, hopefully that's what it does. I mean, I've been lucky enough to photograph everything from kind of family moments to, of course, royal engagements and royal tours all around the world. So it covers off pretty much every facet of their life. Um, and it's been really exciting to put together in time for the coronation. So tell us about some of those family moments, because I think in some ways that's the most fascinating setup um, in terms of photographers, because that's a, those are portraits, right? That's you and the royal face to face. Yeah, so of course, um, the great thing about royal photography is that variety of different um, styles and genres of photography that you photograph. You know, there's obviously the kind of the balcony moments we all remember, uh, trooping the colour every year. It's an opportunity to see the royal family in one place uh, all together. And I suppose over time, it's almost like a reference point. You see the children grow up, you see the family change over time. And uh, yeah, family moments are always a huge privilege to capture. Um, they're, you know, what one side of what I photograph and it, it, in contrast to those more formal royal engagements that you might see on a, da- a daily basis. And of course, anything that involves royal children or, uh, other members of the family is, is a little bit more special. So, um, yeah, it's been a huge privilege to capture some family moments in the past and they are some of my favorite parts of the new book. Now I've got to ask, we've got the coronation coming up. Do you think we're going to get another star turn from Prince Louis on the Buckingham Palace balcony? <laughs> well, good question. Well, I really remember the Platinum Jubilee. It was such an incredible time, such an exciting build up. And, you know, the great thing about being a royal photographer is being in the midst of these amazing kind of celebrations for the whole nation and, and the world and the Commonwealth. And the Platinum Jubilee was certainly an incredible period of time. Um, huge amount of excitement in the build up. And yeah, we'll never forget those moments with Prince Louis uh, at the pageant and on the balcony. He was really, really was the star of the show. So yeah, fingers crossed we will see him again in the coronation. 
Um, now, tell me, tell me a little bit more about some of the pictures that have actually gone into the book. Um, obviously, sadly, we can't show them because this is audio only. But talk us through some of the stories behind those images. Are there favourite tour moments that are in there? Are there are there moments when you know stuff was going wrong around you, but you still got the best picture? Um, yeah, well, you know, there's there's a variety of different pictures in the book, and I think some of my favourite ones are those quieter moments, more the behind the scenes moments, let's call them. And obviously, you know, the king and the queen consort are taking on this new role at a time when many people have retired in their lives, and you know, they live extremely busy lives. They've of course, many of these royal tours are incredibly grueling. Um, you know, we went on a recent one to Canada, crossing different time zones, and I was certainly knackered when I got back. But um, yeah, they need time to switch off and relax. And one of my favourite photos in the book is uh, King Charles in the garden at Highgrave with his office outside uh, in the garden of Highgrave. This, you know, incredible, um, you know, the incredible building that he or a number of decades ago, and it's clearly somewhere he finds very relaxing. Uh, and there's other favourites. Um, one of my one of my favourite ones that's taken not that long ago was King Charles commemorate the moment he became a ranger of Windsor Great Park, uh, leaning up against a 600-year-old oak tree. And I suppose it was a symbolism, that picture, that was particularly appealing. Uh, this, you know, this incredible tree that has seen so much history and a man who it feels very at one with nature, I suppose. And say so it was both of those things coming together in, in this moment. Um, so that is definitely one of my, one of my favorite shots. Um, there's many pictures of our new queen consort, Camilla, someone I've enjoyed photographing for a long time. She has this incredible energy, uh, great sense of humor and uh, the ability to sort of laugh at herself, I suppose. And that, that means that she, she really builds up a very quick connection with people. And uh, I've seen this firsthand all around the world. She's great to photograph. And you, you talk in the book about being able to get kind of past the formality of some of these events to the actual personalities of Charles and Camilla themselves. So you've talk, told us a little bit there about Camilla's personality. How, what do you think you've gleaned about Charles during your years covering him? King Charles, one of the things that um, certainly stands out for me is his sense of duty. And I think it's something he's very much picked up off the late Queen, uh, someone I was lucky enough to photograph uh, on a number of occasions, or many occasions. And one of my favourite photos of her in the last couple of years was probably one of her last official photos, working on her iconic red box uh, and smiling at the same time. And I think it kind of it encompassed so many of the important parts of her character that commitment to duty but with a smile on her face and i think that's something that uh, king charles has taken forward he's got an incredible commitment to duty uh, on a royal tour he takes on up to eight engagements in a day he skips lunch uh, and it's pretty hard to keep up with him and both of this these this couple charles and camilla taking on roles and age when so many people have retired in their lives um, it can be tough and I think their commitment and sense of duty is something that really stands out to me. It must be an extraordinary thing for Charles, mustn't it, to have been 70 years waiting for this job and now he's finally getting to do it. Um, what, you know, what do you think that he brings to the role from all of those years of experience? Yeah, I mean, King Charles, he's a man of many sort of passions and, and commitments and certainly things like the environment, famously, 
Uh, I've certainly listened to many speeches uh, from the king about the environment, uh, visited many rainforests around the world, and it's something he is incredibly passionate about. And he not only talks the talk, he also walks the walk. And uh, mm. it everything you know, it comes down to what he eats and how he manages his households. Um, you know, he is a man who is committed to the cause, and I think this is something that he certainly takes forward into his role as king. Whilst he had to, has to do things slightly differently, um, the position dictates. Uh, he's certainly someone who is committed to change in these areas. And I think uh, that sense of duty as well is something that is very deeply held. And, and it's certainly something that we've seen even in the days uh, following Queen Elizabeth's passing, you know, that sense of duty, that commitment to the role and putting on a brave face and getting anything on with it was, was uh, in the days following Queen Elizabeth's um, sad passing. So you've covered the royals through some really happy times. You've also covered the royals through an extraordinary period over the last few years when they've endured one of the kind of most controversial eras, I would say, since the 1990s when it was Charles and Diana and, and, and their marriage falling apart. Do you think when you cover royal jobs and you see them in person, you're photographing them, do you think you gain any insight into how they've handled the Harry and Meghan era? I think, you know, as a royal photographer, your job is to kind of mutually observe uh, and effectively report on different royal engagements. And mm. as a photographer, you put together an edit of images that best tell that story. You are a, a storyteller after all. And I think that's very important. I think, you know, I've been lucky enough to photograph so many different facets of royal life that hopefully, and I'd, I'd hope something like this book does give you an insight into uh, their true characters, um, you know, the sense of humour that I, I get to witness kind of firsthand, I suppose. And one thing you do notice when you're on engagements with the King and the Queen is their, their energy um, that they bring to each royal engagement and their ability to connect with people from so many different uh, societies and cultures, not only around the world, but in the UK. They, you know, often visit, take Cornwall, for example, somewhere uh, as the Prince of Wales. Um, he visited it over 300 times. And I think this commitment to, to getting out and about to see as many people as possible is, is something that is very deeply held. Uh, of course, the, the late Queen once said you have to be seen to be believed. And I think that's something that um, both the, our new King and Queen take, take very seriously. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So you talk a little bit about how Camilla is personally on these on these royal jobs. I mean, what do you think of the characterization that Harry offered in his book Spare of Camilla? He obviously talks about her as being too friendly with the media. Um, do you feel that's fair or do you think he's being a bit harsh there? I mean, I can only talk from my sort of perspective, I suppose. Um, of course, uh, photographed King Queen for almost 20 years now. And what I see firsthand is someone that is very friendly to the people they meet on a daily basis. They have an amazing ability to connect. Uh, you know, there are days when I come into work not feeling 100%, but when you're a member of the Royal Family, you have to come with your A-game every day. You know, I think they understand that the people they meet and, and interact with every day, it's one of the most important days of their life. And, but for a member of the Royal Family, it's just another day. But they understand that importance and, and what it means to the people they're meeting on a daily basis. So they, they bring their A game. I think I'm always kind of impressed uh, and amazed by that, that quality that they have. And I think if you spend time photographing the roles in, in, in a close vicinity, then you, you do get to see that firsthand. It's certainly a key part of their characteristic. 
how do you feel as a royal photographer after everything that we've we've heard from Harry and Meghan? You know, you, you may, of course, remember the Netflix documentary. There was uh, the promo clips that were put out by Netflix showing photographers much like yourself, um, some in accredited positions where they've been invited to stand by the palace. Others were from jobs that were actually nothing whatsoever to do with Harry and Meghan. Do you think that, you know, royal photographers, too, have also been a bit under the cosh during this era? Um, not from my perspective, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, as a royal photographer, you have a job to do. Um, you are effectively a conduit to the public's eyes. You know, you are, when there's a royal tour, when there's a royal engagement, you are, you know, capturing the images that are seen by people which who form opinions on, on the royal family. So mm. you are this conduit to people's views of the royal family, I suppose, and that's an important part of the job as a as a neutral observer and someone who's there to report. I think um, I personally have only ever um, experienced positivity from, from members of the public I've met around the world. Um, only recently we were in Hamburg um, for the state visit of the King and the Queen. And there was an amazing turnout outside City Hall in Hamburg, probably one of the biggest turnouts um, for a member of the Royal Family I've seen in, in recent years. So it's one of the privileges of the job, the people you get to meet around the world. And uh, from my perspective, I've only ever experienced positivity. So just just on Germany, I mean, how was it? You say, you say there were big crowds there. Obviously, this was Charles's first state visit as king, so a big moment for him. Um, how how big a deal do you think it is to go to a country like Europe, where you know the, these leaders aren't part of the Commonwealth, they're not kind of part of the family that looks up to the to the British monarchy? Do you think he would have felt nervous despite all of his years of diplomacy, or do you think he's such an old hand at this kind of thing that it all comes naturally to him? Good question, Jack. Well, you know what? I, I didn't know what to expect. It was their first visit as king and queen. This is a new one for me as well. So I wasn't sure what to expect and how it would differ. I think, you know, from a media perspective, there was a huge amount of media accredited for this visit, you know, um, over 600 media on the German side, certainly. So there was a huge amount of interest uh, locally, a lot of interest from the UK side as well. So, you know, having travelled with well, that when they were the prince and the duchess uh, over the years, uh, this is certainly uh, a slightly different kettle of fish, and it's been great to watch. And there was an amazing response uh, everywhere we went. I think I mentioned the crowds we saw in Hamburg, uh, looking down from the balcony of the city hall, literally thousands of people filling the square in Hamburg. So I have to say I was blown away by the response in Germany. I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, it was a state visit of, you know, a number of different engagements across different kind of formats and different different subjects from refugees um, to, you know, formal state banquets where we saw, obviously, uh, all the glitz and the glam that, um, that a state visit has to offer. And I think, it, you know, we came away from it feeling like it had been very successful uh, all in all. So there were some strong images um, and uh, a good response all round. So I, did he go into it nervous? I don't think so. Um, he seemed very positive at the start. Uh, I think someone like King Charles, you know, he's had so many challenges like this over the years. I think he must have taken it in his stride. It, it, it was like any other royal tour, I suppose. Mm, yeah, and of course he was supposed to go to France just before, wasn't he, until uh, there were strikes or on the streets of Paris, uh, bin bags piling up in the street. And they I suppose they just decided that from a security point of view, it would have been impossible to go ahead with <laughs> yeah. the job. 
I mean, having seen uh, the City Hall in Bordeaux, I think it was, in flames, I think that was somewhere we were due to visit. I think it became pretty clear that uh, France was going to be untenable. Uh, but, you know, Germany, of course, that, that's going to be rescheduled at some point when it is possible. But Germany was, you know, we felt like it was a pretty full-on royal tour by the time we got back. Yeah, OK. So tell us about the coronation. Do you know what your plans are for covering it yet, or is it still early days for you? No, sadly not. I think we, you know, we're going to learn uh, in the run up to the coronation. Of course, you know, it'd be good to know these things uh, <laughs> earlier. But um, sadly, no, I don't know exactly what I'm, I'm going to be doing. But I mean, looking back at previous events, as an example, of course, we talked about the Platinum Jubilee and, and sort of moments of national celebration. I think it's going to be fairly a fairly similar concept um, in terms of um, how the format works. But uh yeah, it's certainly something that's been on the radar and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it and undoubtedly will, will be the highlight of 2023. Yeah, okay. Anything in particular you're looking out for? We spoke about Louis. Uh, are there any kind of like interactions between family members you're going to be keeping an eye on or any other sort of specific moments that you think will be... Yeah, well, I think, you know, obviously Westminster Abbey and, and all the action there is going to be absolutely key. It's going to be, you know, something that I suppose visually uh, will summarise what the coronation is all about. But yes, I think we're going to be hopefully looking forward to some family moments on the balcony uh, and, and any kind of family interactions. It's always fantastic to see the children. Like you mentioned, the Platinum Jubilee earlier, that was really, uh, you know, I, I won't forget the pageant or the concert the night before. That was incredible uh, with the Paddington um, Paddington video. So, you know, hopefully there'll be elements of the unexpected uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully the nation will come together for a period of national celebration. All right, fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. Now, I'm going to take a quick break, but before I do, just a reminder to rate and review The Royal Report on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your favourite shows. Now, when I'm back, Prince William has hired former New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Now, of all Prince William's projects, none, I think, is more important to him than the Earthshot Prize. So this is designed to try to find really innovative solutions to, to the climate change crisis, basically the climate emergency. And, you know, each Water 5 each year get a £1 million grant. Um, so it's a massive project for him. It's kind of career-defining, particularly if he can find some really big changing solutions, basically. So who better then to become a trustee of the prize than a global leader herself, Jacinda Ardern, until very recently the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Now, she's joined the, the Earthshot Prize board, um, which will add significant clout to the project. William said he was honoured and that she would add a rich an infusion of new thinking. So, Chris, first of all, you know, what is your reaction to this hire? Presumably a big moment for William. 
Yeah, I think it's a massive moment. Certainly, I've been lucky enough to photograph Earthshot, um, the inaugural one at Alexandra Palace, uh, to Boston fairly recently. And, you know, the thing you, uh, you pick up from being at these events is, you know, how inspiring the projects are behind scenes, watching those videos and, you know, listening to how they're going to impact the environment Um uh, over time is is incredible you know really innovative ideas uh five million pound uh prizes like you say over that period of 10 years that it's going to go on for i think you know it's going to have a huge impact uh around the world on climate change of, of course jacinda Ardern, you know a, a huge political figure i think you know she is going to hopefully have a very positive impact on this this uh, initiative, which, like you say, is an absolutely key initiative for um, the Prince of Wales and, of course, uh, the Princess of Wales is also involved. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. And Kate, look, you're looking fabulous at both the two events that we've had so far. Um, and I suppose the, the other thing that Jacinda Ardern adds is that the the prize money, obviously, is has to be raised, doesn't it? Each year they have to raise this money to pay these projects, these huge sums. So hopefully Jacinda Ardern being on the team sheet will help add some clout to perhaps the fundraising elements of it as well. Now, one thing that was interesting to me, and I don't know whether you want to express a view on this or not, Chris, but now Harry and Meghan had their own loving with Jacinda Ardern. Jacinda Ardern was on the front of Meghan's Vogue issue, Forces for Change, back in September 2019. Um, She also met Harry and Meghan at Kensington Palace in their home at Nottingham Cottage. Uh, while they were working royals and she featured in their second netflix show live to lead so this is not the main netflix show that i've spoken about on this show numerous times before that was called harry and megan this was a kind of follow-up that created a lot less buzz Um, it was much kind of more vanilla and it was just focusing on leadership um, within the world jacinda ardern gave interviews to it but she did distance herself from that project saying that she her commitment to it predated harry and megan's involvement so now for William to have come along and hired Jacinda Ardern, I cannot help but think is going to possibly provoke a little bit of jealousy from Harry and Meghan. Chris, do you want to express a view on that? Um, I think, you know, I think she is, you know, she's clearly someone who has a, a lot of experience in the area. She's got great contacts. I think, you know, from my perspective, she seems like a great hire from uh, an experience and uh, contact point of view. So I think it's, you know, I think it's a great move for her shot to, to bring on her on board, um, literally board. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a positive thing for them moving forward. Um, I, love, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing who else they can get involved. Um, like you say, I didn't actually realize I had to raise all the money every year. Is that, uh, I, I, I assumed it was raised at the start and it was sort of put in the pot, but is, is that true? Well, they, to be fair, I'm sure that they raised more than a year's worth at the beginning. I cannot say with certainty that they raised the whole sum. If they have, then definitely kudos to them. But yeah, I mean, if they if they are still actively fundraising, then I think Jacinda Ardern's okay. presence will definitely help. So I guess the one thing that does occur to me about all this is it does show the kind of enduring power of monarchy, which Harry and Meghan have left behind. But William and Kate, you know, they don't, I suppose, have to renew their star power each year because they hold a formal position within British society. They will always be the Prince and Princess of Wales until obviously they become the King and Queen. Um, William will always be until succession, the next in line to the throne. They have that kind of formal function within the British state. That means that their kind of relevance is guaranteed. 
Well, I think they have this incredible platform, don't they? You know, they have this amazing platform to affect change, totally unique around the world, um, a global platform. And I think, you know, initiatives like Earthshot become, you know, an absolute key focus because, you know, climate change is clearly an issue that um, is, is number one focus for for the Prince of Wales at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, this is their big thing. You know, it's going to be their legacy, uh, what people are going to look back on um, in 20 years' time and say, you know, they did that. This is how he, he had a positive impact on on something like climate change. So I think, you know, they see it as a, as a legacy and I think a lot of their energy is going to go into it. Okay, and on that note, I'm going to take one more quick break. But before I do, just a reminder to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston. You will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. And when I'm back, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have been busy with two very different court cases. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. So Prince Harry is joining celebrities like Elton John, Liz Hurley, Sadie Frost in suing the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday, in fact, on historic allegations of phone hacking, wiretapping, what in Britain we call blagging. So uh, for those who don't know the term, it kind of means tricking your way into getting information that you don't have the right to. So it can be anything from calling up a telephone company and pretending to be a person in order to get their private information to doing something similar with like a, a hospital or a, G, a family doctor um, to get someone to find out details of somebody's uh, medical history. So obviously, massive no-no, uh, highly illegal if the allegations are true. Uh, Associated newspapers, the publishers come out swinging, saying it's all preposterous and it, and very historic. It, it does date back decades. Some of the allegations date back as far as 1990. And the hearing that played out in the High Court in London last week was all designed to try to get to the bottom of whether it is actually all too old. Um, so there is a six-year cut-off point. You have six years if something like this has happened to you in order to bring a case in Britain. However, you can say, well, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know that it happened to me until much more recently. So this is what the case was basically about. You've got the claimants on the one hand saying they had no idea up, and, up until much more recently and a, a major kind of point in the timeline is a private investigator called Gavin Burroughs basically turning on the on Associated's titles, the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday, and saying at one stage that he had carried out uh, illegal activity for them. But the newspaper group has come back saying that actually they have a new statement from Gavin Burroughs in which he says, in actual fact, he was never commissioned to carry out illegal acts by those newspapers. So it all played out in kind of dramatic scenes in court. Prince Harry turned up. Nobody expected it. Um, he was at the High Court in London, basically, I think, to draw more attention to the case and perhaps to demonstrate to the judge how serious he takes it, how important this is to him. Obviously, Harry said a lot about the media in his 
books spare he said a lot about the media in harry and megan their netflix documentary he said a lot about the media in oprah and he has in fact been talking about the woes of the british media for many many years since at least his 21st birthday i remember uh, there was an interview he did around about that time where he was talking about you know paying close attention to what different columnists were writing and things like that so um, he's gonna have to persuade the judge that in spite of the fact that he's been talking about this subject for more you know, more than a decade that that doesn't mean he knew that he was a victim of associated if indeed he was now we won't get to find out for a little while because the judge said that uh, he would reserve judgment in other words he'll take a bit of time to think about it go through all the paperwork of which there is plenty um, and if he rules in harry's favor and the other claimant's favor then it will go to trial so in other words a ruling in harry's favor right now does not mean he's won the case it just means it goes to trial if associated win, however, the whole thing gets thrown out. So this is a high stakes moment for Harry, which does, I think, demonstrate a big part of why he actually made the journey over to Britain. Because bear in mind, you know, this is not his first court case in the United Kingdom. Um, between Harry and Meghan, they've been involved in around 10. Harry has never done this before. Meghan did not do this when she sued the mail on Sunday. Obviously, regular listeners to the show will remember that she had a massive high stakes court case against the newspaper. Um, she complained Italy about the fact that her own privacy was uh, dragged into the case. So this was about a letter that she sent her father begging him to stop speaking to the media, which was published in detail, a huge extracts of it in the mail on Sunday. And she didn't, after everything that happened, you know, Harry has blamed the newspaper for a miscarriage she experienced in July 2020. She suggested she feared she would have a second miscarriage brought on by the stress of the case, that she never actually once turned up in person at court to make her case. So Harry clearly feels very, very strongly about this and wants it to go to trial. Now, why is that? Well, a big part of that, I think, is the names of the publications involved. Um, the male group is probably Harry's, uh, I think, most hated tabloid newspaper group. Obviously, no fan of The Sun and The Daily Mirror and other and Daily Express and other tabloid newspapers, but I think The Mail is his, you know, his enemy number one. But also, The Daily Mail and The Mail on Sunday got off relatively lightly during the Leveson inquiry and the police investigations into journalists that took place now, you know, many, many years ago. The first phone hacking case in Britain involving the News of the World and its royal editor Clive Goodman was way back in 2006. Um, Clive Goodman and a private investigator called Glenn Mulcair was, were convicted then. Um, but the whole thing was dragged back up by The Guardian some years later, over 2009, and in the years that followed, it actually caused the closure of the News of the World by Rupert Murdoch. It was massively damaging to the Murdoch Empire's reputation in Britain um, and caused sweeping changes in in the governance of the organisation. Uh, in fact, it changed its name from uh, to News UK, the, the actual uh, parent company from News Group Newspapers to News UK. But as it all played out, it never really engulfed the mail. And that means that Harry now has a kind of new opportunity to try to kind of nail the newspaper for things that happened historically. Whether it will have the same impact as it had on the news of the world, obviously, is yet to be seen, but I can't in all honesty imagine that it will, which might sound like a strange thing to say. Like, these are genuinely really serious allegations. We're talking about wiretapping, listening live into telephone calls, including one in which um, Harry and William were discussing Princess Diana's death. So it's really serious stuff. But there have been uh, cases in which the, it has been accepted that the Mirror Group 
uh, have had hacked phones um, and the journalists accused of this at the newspaper group were not prosecuted criminally and I think the reason for that is that the Metropolitan Police and the Crown Prosecution Service basically felt that so much resource had been put into the investigations into the news of the world and other newspapers that had already taken place uh, so many so you know there were officers pulled off counter-terrorism for example and I just think that they don't think that they can do it all again so I think even if Harry wins here I think we are fundamentally talking about a civil case only I don't think this is going to wind up becoming a situation where journalists get criminally charged we'll see I might well be wrong but that is my current view of it. Um, but needless to say, even if all that's on the table for Prince Harry is the prospects of winning a civil lawsuit and being able to hold it up in his hand and say that the Daily Mail did these things that he is accusing them of, then I think that will be a major victory for him. And as with many of his media lawsuits, Princess Diana does hang over this case. He has accused the Daily Mail of breaching a promise that the newspaper and, and the newspaper industry more generally in Britain made in the years after Princess Diana died. You know, the industry vowed to clean up its act. And so he is saying that the newspaper broke that promise. And I think that says a lot about what Harry's motivation is here for bringing this case. This is partly about avenging Princess Diana. So that is it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everybody, and a curtsy to you all. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. (laughs) It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The Parting Shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.